Okay, here we are. And uh, we are in the book of Romans. Book of all books, right? At least for the great doctrine and theology that is there. And we are in the last part of the greetings of this epistle that uh, Paul has to these Roman people, Roman church. And even though it's an introduction, you can say to the epistle or greetings, there are very important words that are uh, put in here. Matter of fact, every word of God is important, isn't it? And uh, what we've seen for the past couple of weeks has been what I would say amazing doctrine. <laughs> and uh, that, that's nothing compared to what is yet to come. That's just introducing it. But what we have here today that's important is the principle of true spiritual service. And uh, before you start packing up and getting ready to leave and go, oh no, it's about service. <laughs> it's a great word because it's seen throughout all the Scripture and the servant of all servants is who? Jesus Christ. He served us, didn't He? And so when you hear that word service or sometimes you hear the word missions, people go, oh no, here we go, you know, or even giving. <laughs> but there's certain depths behind all of that that is something that we need to uh, catch. And what we'll get out of this is we're going to look inside the heart of Paul. We're going to see what he is like uh, just by looking at his scripture that is written here, that's a letter, and it's really dealing with attitudes and actions. That's what Paul has here, attitudes and actions. And they're the very principles that all Christians have. Uh, we must practice those. We want to let that fruit be um, seen and acted upon. Christians are to be characterized by that. Um, Paul doesn't start off with heavy doctrine and then blasting away at the Roman Christians here. He wants them to know Him and his care and his love for them. That's, that's really what he's, what he's after. Um, so, you know, and in that we see his service to them. And, and it isn't that we don't know these truths. It isn't that we don't know those. We know that for sure, that we are to be serving God. And some of you say, well, how do I do that? What do I do? Well, if we look at this text today, we will we'll see that. I think really it's a matter of being refreshed being reminded, renewed. We need uh, to be touched up a little bit. You know, we need to be freshened. Um, and it's one thing to come and worship together. As a matter of fact, it is the pseudonym bonum of our lives when we come together as a church body, the church family, and we worship together. But outside these walls is really where we even do more serving because we're here for what, an hour, two hours a week? And that's not much, is it? But outside these walls, the rest of the hours are uh, given to us to be fruitful for the kingdom. So we just don't want to leave it right here, do we? 
And we do want to serve each other, no doubt about it. That's part of our lives. That's how we practice it. But we have the Gospel, and the Gospel is the most powerful instrument, the most powerful tool, the most powerful anything that is on the level of dynamite. Matter of fact, it's much more than dynamite. Dynamite can destroy, destroy lives. This kind of dynamite can change lives. It can save lives. It's the gospel. That's the power of it. It's an incredible thought when you have this kind of power under the hood. You know, you know that cars have that power under the hood. And uh, that's what we have only even more so as we serve as ambassadors. We're representatives of the kingdom, of the good news, of the gospel. In Romans 6 it says that we are servants of God. Slaves of God, servants of God, we're all called to serve. Not just Paul or a few select men down through history, not just the apostles, not just people who have written books, started reformations. Everybody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a servant. And Paul reveals his heart to the Roman church there about who he is and what his service is to them and what their service would be to him. So we do not have uh, the Apostle Paul's high calling of being an apostle. Or maybe we don't have the gifts that he has, the talents, the abilities, the education that Paul has. But honestly, we can sure have the same motives that Paul had along with the actions and the attitudes and it's rather remarkable to think that what Paul had in those ingredients is what we have too. And so now we are uh, going to be looking at how uh, Paul served the Lord, served the lost, served the ones who were believers along with him. So let's grab our Bibles and uh, we'll be in Romans 1. Starting at verse 8, going up through 17. Quite a longer text this morning. First, I say, thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve and my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, You are the servant of all. And You have served us everything we have needed. You have served us Your Word, Your truth. You have served us with Christ to save us from our sins. And we see the Apostle Paul who cannot wait to tell people about You and about You being the good news. As he spreads that forth, we are amazed how the power of the Gospel changes lives. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Paul starts off with, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. I thank my God. We start off with thankfulness. These are like attitudes here. Um, Actions. We have thankfulness. We have prayerfulness here. We have edification. We have fruitfulness. We have eager to preach, to teach, to share the Gospel, and not being ashamed of the Gospel. So that's some of the things that uh, Christians have in their own lives. We all are to have this. We are to bear this forth. And so he starts with this, and it's a great place to start. Because a mark of a Christian is that he is thankful. How often is he thankful? Always. Always being thankful, right? Thankful. That is the key to uh, our lives. And, and the word here, I thank my God, uh, the word there is Eucharisto in the Greek. And uh, here, for us in the English, it's thank. Uh, breaking Eucharisto down is EU, which is good, and Charisto is charis, charis, which is grace. It's good grace. Have you ever heard of somebody before a meal, they will say, and let's say grace. Have you heard that before? And that's saying thanks. That's the idea of it. Uh, There are quite a few denominations that actually uh, have a a session, a portion of their worship that would be called the Eucharist. And it's taken from really that uh, Greek word there. And it means to give thanks that word there would be equivalent to what we're familiar with uh, as communion or the Lord's Supper. It's really meaning we're giving thanks. That's really one of the best ways to give glory to God. So how can I give glory to God? Say thanks. That's a great way to start off worshiping God, saying thanks, because you're recognizing everything comes from Him He's the owner of it all, and He is the one who is to be worshipped, to be thanked, right? So that's the idea. He starts off with this thanking God. And this is something that Paul does frequently, almost all the New Testament epistles. 
you will see him thanking God uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 4, the very next book after Romans. He uh, is dealing with the prayer there, and he says in verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. I thank God for the grace He has given to you, Corinthians. It's really what He's saying to the Romans. And if you go to Ephesians 1, a little bit further, you have 2 Corinthians and Galatians and then Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, I'm not going to do all the epistles. It's just interesting. No, he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you about your faith that He gave you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I don't cease to give thanks. That means always He's saying thanks. And... That's what we all do here, right? Do we say thanks for all of us here? Do we say thanks for the people that He's brought us into our lives? And so that's the idea. That's what Paul is saying. We see uh, go back in Romans now. We uh, move back to that very first verse. We're starting with it, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So he's thanking God. He's not thanking the Romans, but he's thanking God for the faith that was given to the Romans. And that faith they are now proclaiming to everyone. And so that church was well known throughout the world. That's interesting That's why Paul wanted to go there. He heard all about it. You know what? He had never started that church. He had never even been there. Does he know them personally? No. But he sure acts like he does. And and in a sense, he does know them because they are Christians. They are believers. They have the characteristics and the nature that he has. And so, even when we meet somebody for the first time and they're a Christian, and almost every week we seem to have visitors come in. Have you noticed that? And you can tell right away that they must be of the Lord. Just the way that they talk, the way that they act, they think, um, what they're committed to. And you know what? It's like they're not really strange at all, are they? Because we're all strange. We're all aliens, right? And we identify with each other. That's a blessing. I love that. I love it whenever I meet other uh, believers. And it might be for the for uh, eternity, seeing them constantly. It'll definitely be for eternity. But then others you don't see. Maybe just one time here on this earth. But we have eternity to see all those believers. So he's thankful to God because of their faith that they're proclaiming, that they are giving a message to that is being heard all over the world. It's being sounded out. And when he says the world, the whole world, of course it's not going to mean every man, woman, and child has heard about Rome, but it's talking about it's been broadcast completely all around uh, the Mediterranean world uh, and even further as people take that from them. 
the word world there is cosmos. If you heard of cosmos, it means this world or this universe. And so it's being spread about. Where is Rome at? Well, it's the center of the Roman Empire. And you have people coming there from everywhere. And then they broadcast. They spread out all over the world as they go back home. If the, if the church has been able to get to some of those people, they take the gospel with them too. That is why they become very famous as a church there. Wouldn't you like to be known like Rome is? So that is very, very impressive to Paul. He's impressed by God who gave that saving gospel to them who in turn share it. This is a genuine faith the Romans have. It's very strong. It's true. And Paul knows it. Never met him, but he's heard all about him. And so there they are. They're well known. He thanks God. And then we see that in verse 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. So Paul is saying now that there is a spiritual service. We see that the Romans' faith has been proclaimed, and then Paul comes along and says, I serve in my spirit. Interesting about that word serve. Often it'll be that word minister. This time, serve here is actually latruo. Greek word for you, you go, what? But it simply means worship. What's the most important thing to do as Christians? To worship God or to serve Him? Well, worship is the ultimate priority. And of course we're supposed to serve Him, but you'd say worship is the most important. And it is, but honestly, did you know that you cannot separate serving and worship because Latruo here is dealing with worship. And so when you serve God, you know what you're doing? You're actually worshiping God. And you can be serving God even by yourself. Maybe you're praying for somebody. You know what you're doing? You're serving God. You're serving those people that you're praying for. There may not be anybody around, but yet you're worshiping. Your whole life is to be worshiping. So worship and serving really are the same thing. So it's interesting as Paul says, For God whom I serve in my spirit, or whom I worship in my spirit. And he was the servant, wasn't he? Spiritual service. Uh, And then he says, I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son. The gospel of His Son. The gospel of God's Son. Now we've talked about gospel quite frequently. Seems like every week we do. Uh, But again, it's euangelizo, or it means good message. Good news. And this is how Paul is serving, worshiping, in that He's doing it in the Gospel of the Son. That's what He's doing. He served in His Spirit 
And the gospel is good news. Now, who owns the gospel? God does. Because, and, and we talked about earlier in this letter, I think the first four verses, we called it the gospel of God. So we talked about that. God owns the gospel as He originated the gospel, didn't He? He possesses the gospel. He owns it. Owns the good news. Now, we see something interesting here in Romans where he says the gospel of his son, the gospel of God, which we saw in verse 1 where Paul said he was set apart for the gospel of God. Now it's the gospel of the son. What's the difference? Basically it's the same, but there is a difference. What's the difference? Well, Christ is the center of this gospel that God owns. Christ possesses it too. Christ Himself actually is the message. He is the good news. He is the gospel, isn't He? God is the gospel. Alright, well, let's think about that. He's also the messenger of the good news, isn't He? Uh, Angelizo. Angelizo means message. Messenger. In Isaiah 52.7, it talks about a messenger that brings good tidings. You ever heard of that? Isaiah actually pronounced a lot of judgments upon Israel and all the nations of the world. Deep, dark judgment. And a lot of those have come true already. There are some to come true. But a lot of them have been fulfilled. And it was very dark, and then all of a sudden the light comes on in chapter 40, and time you get to chapter 52, and then in 53 you get to see the Messiah. In Isaiah 52, 7, which is also found in Romans 10, it says, Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings of good things. Because after all those deep, dark judgments... Beautiful are the ones who bring good news. They had bad news, bad news, bad news, and then the good news is coming. And the messenger would be shouting and yelling as he came to maybe a little village. People would hear him afar off and they go, What's that? What's that? And he would be running into the village. And they knew that that was good news. Good tidings. It's beautiful. Beautiful are the feet who deliver them. And so beautiful is Christ who brings that message. But beautiful are the feet of the apostles. Beautiful are the feet of disciples and learners, believers, for the last 2,000 years who are bringing that good news, right? It's beautiful. We think of the first four books of the New Testament. What are they called? The Gospels. Uh, John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus starts His ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Same message. They're talking about the kingdom. Now we look in the epistles... And that was the gospel of the kingdom of God. In the epistles now, we note that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is seen quite frequently. Right here in our verse 9, the Gospel of the Son. This is about who Jesus is and what He did. Here is a good way to mention Christ. His person and His works or His life. Here's His person. In His accomplishments in His life, which are the person and the works of Jesus Christ while He was here on earth, He was obedient, was He not? He came here to please the will of the Father. He was obedient. He is the perfect example of obedience. Even though He is God and without sin, He was in perfect obedience while He was here. He also did miracles. That's His works. There was the atonement. And then there was the resurrection and the ascension. Now those are facts. Or they are objective truths. Nothing to dispute there. The life and the work of Christ, it has been recorded, it is objective. But there comes a time where it comes bearing to us subjectively. Okay, those objective truths, I believe it, but what's it mean for me? How can I be right before a holy God? I can't be like Jesus. I can't do the things that He did. I am not like Jesus. Well, one would be saying, how can I be forgiven? How can I be justified? The word is imputation. To impute. Uh, it's like at a bank to take my account that I have in the bank and I want to transfer it to somebody else's account or to my other another account. It's transferred. It's now been imputed and it's now here. It's been transferred to somebody's benefit. Right? That's imputation. It's been imputed or counted. His righteousness has been accounted as our righteousness. It's transferred to me. Now that's the Gospel of Jesus. That's the Gospel of the Son. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred to me because I'm a sinner and I'm no good. There's nothing good about me, but His righteousness has been brought to me. And is that good news? Now I'm forgiven. And so that's the idea of the Gospel of His Son. That's what Paul preached. He preached imputation. He'd say, boy, that's an awful big word. Actually, it's an accounting term. Jews and banks, I don't know if they use that anymore or not, but that is the idea. His righteousness has been counted as righteous to you. Now that's good news. And we'll get to that further because we're really going to one place today and that's to the end of our section where in verse 16 and 17 it's the very heart 16 and 17 verses 16 and 17 really are thematic of the whole gospel that is spoken or actually the book of Romans 
is hinged on this 16 and 17 here today, which is where we're going. So as we get there, I'm not going to have much time, but we've already kind of covered it. So we'll move on from here, but that is the idea that Paul is thankful. He knows these people now are righteous before God, and he's thankful for that. So now, as we, he, he says, the gospel of his son in verse 9 is my witness. He preached the message, right? That's his witness. As to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps not last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So, what is the first one there? Thankfulness. Are you guys thankful today? Are you thankful that each and every one here is here and that they have heard the Gospel and they've heard it over and over and over that they know Christ? Are you thankful for that? Something to be thankful for. One of the best things you can do is do that. Now, the next one is prayerfulness. And this means that we need to be praying for everyone that uh, we are familiar with and uh, starting with your family, your church. That is a mark of a Christian. They do that. They do it all the time. That's what Paul said is always. It means it's a way of life. It's a part of his prayer constantly. Yeah, he's not going to mention everyone individually every time that he prays. But he's saying that's a part of his prayers. You know, he's praying all the time, right? Uh, He didn't know these people, but he's connected to them. We talked about that. He's praying constantly for them because he wants to get to Rome where he can meet them and preach and teach the gospel to them. Most of them uh, would love to see him too, I'm sure. Now it's interesting, as he says, always in my prayers making request, and I like this, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. We are to pray to God, not for what we want, but for what God's will is. And so, and that's really the whole idea of prayer. It's not that God has to be informed. He says, oh, Dennis, I never thought about that. Thanks for reminding me. I wouldn't have, I would have passed over that, Dennis. Forgive me, please. No, God doesn't do that, does He? No, 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 no. But Paul does the way what Jesus said to pray and to pray that it would be God's will. When you pray, you're focused upon what His plan and His purpose is. What did He say? If it be your will. Jesus even said that in His prayer. Knowing full well it was God's will. When you pray the Scriptures, you know for sure that Christ is coming back. If you pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know what? He's going to honor that. Your prayer is going to be answered. If your prayers are focused upon what God's will is, it will be answered. Thankfully, we have prayed a lot of prayers that probably weren't in God's will and He didn't answer it the way that you wanted. By the way, Paul's prayer here that he gives to Rome, I don't think he was expecting to get there the way that he did. 
it, he had to be arrested to get there. But one good thing, it was a free trip. <laughs> you see, it was God's will that it happened. It was just that God was kind of making this, you know, kind of hang out for a while. And it made Paul patient even more, even though he has that fruit of the Spirit. And he says, I'm making a request, if perhaps now, if this is the will of God, that I can come to you. There's nothing wrong in praying that prayer. That Lord, no matter what I ask here, that it would be your will. And that is how we pray. We pray so we can fit into His will. That's the idea. Is it wrong to say, Lord, have mercy on this world that we live in? I don't think so. Because He is a merciful God. And He does do that. And He does it to us individually. He does it to people in our family, other people. Lord, have mercy. Because we know that without His mercy, they are lost. And that's the biggest concern, isn't it? If it's God's will, it'll be accomplished. Did Paul believe in the sovereignty of God? What do you guys think? Absolutely. That means God's will is going to be accomplished perfectly at the right time all the time. He is sovereign. He's in complete control. And that can make you comforted because when you go to prayer, even if you're asking things that maybe are not quite the way that God's going to do it, it's still saying, I know you're going to do what your will is, Lord, and that's what we want. I'm settled with that. And when you understand the sovereignty of God, you understand most about who He is. And you know what? Most Christians really do believe in the sovereignty of God. Otherwise, they don't pray. If they don't pray, they're not Christians. Because they, they even pray that the Lord come into that person's life and change them because they realize that that person can't change their own life anyway. They're absolutely helpless. It takes a work of God to do that. No, that's scriptural. It's all through Scripture. It takes all of God's will and purpose to make a person regenerated because we're dead. We can't say, okay, self, come to life now, self. Believe in Jesus Christ, self. We can't do that because we're dead. But if we know Him, we're regenerated. We then have this prayer for the will of God. So he wants to come to Rome. He's been praying. Always in my prayer. So that's two things. He's thankful. He's prayerful. We can say, well, that's easy. I do that. Well, good. That's a mark of a Christian. Thankful and prayerful. Well, here's another one. 11 and 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Ah, it's for edification now. He wants to see them built up. Do you want to see others in Christ to be built up? To be built up. Strengthened. Um, ever since he found out about this Roman church... Paul had this desire 
to go see them, to visit these Christians. He kept praying. He kept thinking about it. It was on his mind all the time. And he wanted to even add to their faith. Now, faith is faith, and we're all given a measure of faith, but there's a thing about adding to your faith, as Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1, you know, moral excellence and knowledge and wisdom and those things. That's adding. We want to be adding to each other. Everybody here has a gift that nobody else in the whole world has. So I would like to have experience a little bit of that gift you have. So I get to know you. You get to know me. And it's both to our benefits. Because without that other person, we would be amiss a little bit. And we need that person's gift, don't we? And Paul realizes that he wants to go there and give them his very heart. Uh, This is a key city to go to. It's Rome. It's the capital of the whole empire. It's a key city. He wants to impart a spiritual gift. He wants to give of Him to bless the people. He has a special way. He's an apostle. And He has a special way of presenting truths. And when you read the book of Romans, it's probably the deepest of all the doctrine in the Bible. For those 16 chapters, it is incredible, isn't it? And so, can you imagine Him coming to you and teaching like you haven't heard before? So He was a, wanted to be a part of their fellowship that they had going there. He became personal with them when He got there. He cared for them. When He was in jail, when He got there, people came to even visit Him and knew Him. The church... You know, and people from around there. He wanted to encourage them. He was under a house arrest on another occasion. And they would come and uh, Bible studies. He would, he would preach, teach. He would give his gift to them. It was unselfish service here. And he wants the best. He wants the best for them. And... You know, I think about this. It wasn't just to come to preach to be preaching, was it? You know, if that's all we do, is that we go from verse 8 today here through 17, and then we walk out of here, and it means nothing to nobody. It means nothing to me. We just did our thing. We came here, we did church, and now we go home and do something else. That's not why we do these things. What it is, the reason there is preaching, as Paul says here, to impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. We are here to be established. First of all, in our singing to God, as we have doctrine in those hymns, spiritual songs, as we pray, as we read the Word, then have it preached, then have the Lord's Supper as we're having today. All of those speak to us. They are graces to us, aren't they? So, to be established even more. And so Paul encouraged them. He cared for them. He wanted the best for them spiritually. He wanted to give them himself. 
Uh, I like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. This is to the Corinthians. Uh, He's saying here that He's willing to give Himself. I'll gladly spend Myself. You know, I will spend and be spent. He's willing to give up His time, effort, everything it is that somebody would be built up. That these Corinthians would be that way. And, but He's not one of pride and says, I've got something and you guys don't. You guys listen to this, right? He doesn't say that either. Because in verse 12 he says, That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So it's not just about the apostle or the pastor, teachers. It's about all of us that we get from each other, don't we? It's not just one person, it's from everybody. A lot of different things that we all have to share. You know, First Peter 5, 3 and 4 talks about humility. Did Peter have it? Abs- or did Peter have it? Yeah, he didn't at first, way back when he was following Christ, did he? You know, where he said, Oh no, Lord, I will not desert you. I'll follow you all the way. Of course... Satan sifted him like wheat, like Jesus said would happen. Uh, he, when he was filled with the Spirit, he became very humble. So did Paul. Paul, it seems like, would have been one that would have been very uh, prideful, arrogant maybe, because of all the knowledge that he had of the Hebrewism that he had taken part of, all of his education, and uh, being an apostle. And he never abused what God had given him. Matter of fact, it was the other way around. He became a bondservant, a slave. Even more so, in 2 Corinthians, I think he calls himself an under-rower. In the boats there, they had a top level and then they had another level. And that's where you'd have uh, the ones that would be serving in the boat. Their serving was under rowing. That's quite a chore. We're talking about going from how about Jerusalem to Rome. That's a long way. You've got under rowers there. They have sails. They have different ways. But that was what Paul spoke about. That's about as low as you can be. So, the kind of news that he has. He has a testimony, but they have testimonies and he can't wait to hear their testimonies. Each one of them. Because everybody has a story. You ever learn some of the stories in uh, in the body of Christ here? You ever seen or heard from where people have come from and where the Lord has brought them? Don't you love to hear that? When you hear, like you meet a new Christian and you found, find out what their story is at God, how He worked through them. Isn't that... Isn't that exciting? I call it joyful. It's great. What kind of news is that? Joyful news. 
So we finished verse 12. Are you ready for verse 13? So we have thankfulness, we have prayerfulness, we have edification, we have fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Every Christian is fruitful. Some 20-fold, some 10-fold, some 40-fold, some 60-fold. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying all of that's in the, the way that the Scripture says it, but I'm just talking, everybody has different amounts of fruit. But if you are a Christian, you have fruit. The only problem is sometimes the fruit doesn't show. It's not ripe yet. But the fruit is there. So for a moment here, we'll talk about fruit. What is this fruit? The purpose of preaching or teaching, and by the way, you may not be in an official capacity of preaching and teaching, <laughs> but all Christians are preachers or teachers. Do you take the gospel to the lost or you edify somebody? You have to give them good news. You have to give them the truth of the gospel. Don't give them the things that are out in the world that's straight, pure psychology and it has nothing to do with the Word of God. Give them the truth of what the Word says. Something they need at that time. But the reason there is preaching is that there is a result. See, there is an end result of this preaching that I do here or anything that we all do. If you're talking to somebody who's lost, what are you doing? Well, you're trying to get them to the end goal. You have to start with something that they're lost. They're lost for their sins, but also you want to get them to the good news that there is Christ who comes into their life and they can get their sins forgiven and they can live forever with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Living in heaven, right? So, Paul wants there to be a result and that that would be fruit. Not just to come there and edify him, but there would be fruit. If we don't have fruit and we don't see the fruit, it gets discouraging, doesn't it? We need to see fruit. All of us need to see fruit. And you know what John 15, 16, Jesus said this. First of all, He said it to the apostles because He knew what their job was going to be. And He says in John 15, 16, You did not choose Me. Boy, that's humbling, isn't it? He said, Yes, I did. I believed in God. I chose Him. No, you didn't. You're chosen by God. Stop edifying yourself. Be edified by God. That's the best thing that I can hear. He chose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and look at this, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, whatever you ask, and what Jesus would, would be asking in the Father's name, that He may give it to you. And then He says, This I command you, that you love one another. If you love each other, you go and give fruit. Or you see fruit. Right? You give a blessing. Well, that's interesting. The apostles were to go and bear fruit. That is what we are about. Why not just trust in the Lord... Repent, get forgiveness, 
and go right to heaven, just like that. Wouldn't be a bad idea. The only thing is, that's a human idea. (laughs) That wasn't God's idea. His idea is that we would learn of who He is and to go bear fruit. How you came to Christ, you go and tell it to others. Wow. That's what He told the apostles to do. Thank the Lord they did it. And it continued on. That's why we're here today. Somebody brought you the truth. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Ultimately, that's what it is. He bears upon you who He is. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Galatians 5, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and say, now go bear fruit. (laughs) Love, joy, peace, you see those attitudes there? That is what Christ is. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is patience. When we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have these qualities. The only problem is, is sometimes we don't show these fruits very good. Sometimes we don't show the love that we have and somebody can see bitterness in us. We go, ooh, that fruit went sour, didn't it? It went bitter. But you know what? Fruit is there. He says to go and bear it. Let it bloom. It takes a while for fruit to come out and be ripe. But that's what we're about, folks. That's one thing. Another thing is that we are belonging to Christ and our actions are also to bear fruit. We bear much fruit. And also, converts are our fruit. When we bring people to Christ, when we give them the Gospel and they respond to it, maybe ten other people have given them the Gospel and they didn't respond. Well, it wasn't their time. But you happen to say something about Christ and their need, all of a sudden they go, you know, I've heard that. And what is it that I must do? Right. How can I become a Christian? Hey, I want your faith. They don't always do that, but you give them the good news. Sometimes they walk off and then later on you hear about it. Sometimes you don't hear anything about it at all. The deal is is that you like to see that though, don't you? You like to see converts. Romans 16.5 talks about that. and There was fruit there in Rome. As the Gospel had been preached to them. Now we move on to the next one here in Romans 1. You know, for a lot of verses, we're moving right uh, right along, aren't we? Uh, he said in 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. Whatever it was, I got stopped. I wanted to come, but I couldn't make it. So that I may obtain some fruit. We read that, right? 
I'm coming there to obtain fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Most of the Roman church, most of them were probably Gentiles. But there's Jews in that city. Maybe some of them came to Christ too, right? Here's verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. Before we get to the eager to preach part number five, we have one thing. I am under obligation. That means, as far as Paul is concerned, he has no choice but to preach the gospel. That's what he did. He has no other choice to do this. He's being compelled by God to do this. Look in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. I am commanded to do this. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Condemned am I if I don't preach it. Whoa, Paul, are you serious? Yes. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. If Even if I don't, do it, don't want to do it. This is a stewardship. This is what I've been given to do. I'm gifted to do this. I have to do it. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul didn't charge. He did not for himself. He did not take anything. So, what do we have here? He is so totally devoted to the service of Christ and the gospel that... He's obligated to go to Gentiles. And he calls them both to Greeks and the barbarians. The Greeks would be the educated. The barbarians would be the... And that's what it really came from. That's where it came from. Those people were considered to be very uneducated, very unintelligent. Uh, They might have been pretty good warriors, but they sure... You know, they had trouble speaking. You know, like that. They were barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He says that he was obligated to go to no matter who. Well, not those people. They're across the tracks, right? Or not those people. No way, they wouldn't even listen to me because they're so educated. You know, they came from Yale and Harvard and all that. So, you know, I have no right to be amongst them. You see... Paul was ready to take it to Matt and no matter who it is because you see, if they don't know Christ, they're lost. And that's all that matters to Paul. He was very educated, but he brought it in a very simple way. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he didn't come there proclaiming and uh, tr- uh, things that were outside of the gospel. He says, I proclaim... Christ crucified and nothing else. Well, there are many other things according to the Gospel of God and Christ, but what he's saying, I didn't bring along any worldly things to influence people. You know, the way that he spoke or the way that he looked. Um, 
there wasn't anything that would draw people to Him. But Christ crucified was what He preached. That was His message that He was to give. That's what He did. And no matter who He went to, that was it. And of course, when He would do that, sometimes people would consider Him to be very foolish. A crazy man. Well, after all this, He says in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. I've been preaching it to the Gentiles and the Jews and everywhere, and I want to come to you. I'm eager. What does eager mean? Eager. He's an eager beaver. He can't wait. That's the idea. He wants to do it. Every fiber of his being. Christ crucified is what he wants to preach. Paul couldn't wait to get to Rome. He desired to do that so much. Where did he get that desire to do that? Desires come from God. God, give me the desires. The desires of our heart come from God. There's only one value in his life. There's only one purpose. It was to do God's will. It was to do the work assigned to him. And he did that. Whatever's assigned. Now we go into the last part. Like I said, we kind of covered this. It's been leading up to it. And this is what's going to set us up now for the rest of the book of Romans. Verse 16 and 17. It's considered to be a Reformation verse because this affected Martin Luther, and I've said it many, many, many times. This section right here is how he came to Christ, and many others have. Um, we know that Martin Luther realized that he fell so far short of God's demand of his righteousness. Luther looked into the mirror of God, which is the Word of God, every day, and he was terrorized by it. Because he knew what it meant. God's law showed him what condition he was in. And until he came to this verse and saw what it meant, he was in terror. He hated God because he did not have the righteousness. And he knew it. And he knew God did. He needs to hear the good news. Here's the bad news. I do not come close to God's righteousness and I will never say that I am good. I'm okay. Hey, I've done some good things, done bad things. My good things outweigh the bad things, so therefore I'm going to heaven. We've all heard that. Martin Luther wasn't at that. He knew he deserved hell. Verse 16. And the reason I put 16 and 17 is, and you could do a whole message on it, and I should. But here we go. Remember, he's been preaching the gospel to everyone and that's the whole idea. It's the gospel of Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I'll go to anybody. I'll go to the barbarians. I'll go to the uneducated. I will go to the, the elite educated. I'll go to the kings, which he did. He preached it to no matter who and he was never ashamed. He never backed off. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was very bold, wasn't he? And it was to a culture that was hostile to Christianity that they persecuted him, they arrested him, they killed him. Paul knew that. Paul got arrested many, many, many times. He was threatened. He should have been killed several times. 
He's not ashamed. He was totally unashamed of this message wherever he went because that's why he went there. He was not quiet. He was eager. Imagine being in the Roman Empire experiencing the hostility that came the way that Paul faced and other Christians did. You see, the Gospel brings conflict. That's why the Gospel becomes watered down in our time. People don't start in, in, in the messages of the Gospel in many of the churches today with you're a sinner. You're short of God's glory. You must repent and confess your sins. They don't start with that. Matter of fact, they don't even mention that. They don't even want to use the word sin. They don't even want to say that you're unrighteous. They want to say, hey, how would you like to have a better life? You can have a better life right now. And you can go right on into heaven and have a good life. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, take me into heaven. Or they say, come forward. People walk the aisle. They don't even know why they're walking, but if you want to go to heaven, you want to go to heaven, okay, then you go to heaven. I'll pray with you. And that's how the Gospel's presented today. It's, it's called a watered down. It is definitely more palatable than what we've been talking about here. It's definitely less offensive than what we've been just talking about. It's not offensive at all. Be comfortable with whenever we read comfortable passages. We shouldn't be convicting people of their sin. But the thing is, they desperately need the Gospel. And how, how are they going to know what the good news is if they don't know where they are at? Uh, they say, well, I, I just don't get anything out of it. You guys never say that at a message here, do you? So I'm not getting anything out of church. You know what? That's the wrong thing to say. Even if I was the worst of all preachers, I'm not saying I'm the best at all, but if I'm the worst and I don't even get it across and you can't even understand the words that I'm saying, I'm saying it too fast, God can take that Word of God and work it into each one's lives. Okay? And... The thing is, I have studied though, and I've studied hard all week long, every week. I study, I study. This doesn't come automatic. Sure, I could breeze through here and say, you know, <laughs> go through those words, and a lot of them already know what they are, but if I don't get some fresh insights here, I'm cheating myself, and I'm cheating you, I'm cheating God, because He wants me to know this. And yes, it does take work. But I'm saying if all of us study and read, I will guarantee you, you will be benefited. You will be graced. God will bless you. He will continue to change your life because the Word is what does that. The preacher can't change your life. A teacher can't change your life. But it can help to get new insights and from reading other people and bringing that forth. It's a good thing, isn't it? And it's a powerful experience that can happen. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the goodness, for it's the power of God. I'm not ashamed because it's the dunamis. What's dunamis? Dynamite. The gospel is dynamite. Matter of fact, it's better than dynamite. Dynamite can destroy. And it does things that it's meant to do. 
But the Gospel does things it's meant to do and it gives life. Everlasting life. Salvation is what it does. It converted your souls. The Gospel is so powerful, it took you as a dead person and brought you to life. Can any person do that? No. But the Word of God, the truth of the Gospel is what does it. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Anybody who believes, who trusts. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. That's the way that Paul went. Synagogue first, then the rest of the Gentiles. For in it, in it, in this Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. We talked about righteousness earlier. We talked about the Gospel of Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed. You can say, oh, that's recognizing that God is righteous and He's holy. Well, we know that. Yes, that is true. He's righteous. That's not what Paul is meaning here. And this is what Luther understood to be as well as anybody else that finally discovered what it is. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The curtain is torn back for us. From faith to faith, it is written out of Habakkuk, but the righteous man or the just man shall live by faith. What do we have? How can we make of this? Luther, remember we said, realized that he was not righteous. God is righteous, but and he knew that. But how does he get the righteousness? Do you remember the word imputation? Christ Righteousness given to me. My sin was put on Him at the cross. What a great exchange. This is simple. This is Christ crucified. I have hoping we've got hoping we have gotten to the depth of what this, which is much deep deeper than what we think. Well, that just sounds like a simple gospel. Yes, it's simple, but it's so profound. The power of it to convert you because those who believe get the righteousness of Christ. And he says, I'm not ashamed of this. I want to come to you because I'm thankful to God. I've been prayerful to God. Uh, what was what was the third one? Thankful, prayerful. Uh, I want to edify you. I want to bear fruit. I'm eager to preach this. This should be characteristics of all of us and not ashamed of the Gospel. I will say this. Do you know that a lot of times we we become chickens? But the power of God is invested in the Gospel. But yet we kind of become sheepish. But if we have the power of God, what difference does it make? That's what we're about. Christ died for our sins. We trust in that, that He takes our sins and we become like Him. We're believers. The Gospel there is to be called out to everyone. There will be certain ones that will respond. But this is the theme of the whole Gospel. The entire epistle... Are you getting it right there? 16 and 17 is what it is. The justified shall live by faith. And here's the deal. It's it's quoted right out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And it means this. 
in Habakkuk's time, there were foreigners that invaded the land. They invaded Israel. And Habakkuk saying is, Why God? Why are You letting this happen? Have we all said this? Why is this happening in our world right now? What's going on? It's the worst time of the, our nation's life. I believe it really is. Could be. I could be wrong on that. But in my lifetime, I've not seen anything like it. All across the world it's like this. You know what? God says this. Why God do you let it happen? Habakkuk gets the answer. God says it's for an appointed time. God says, what I have said is going to happen. This judgment is going to happen to your nation. I'm sovereign. He says, Habakkuk, be patient. He's like saying this. Okay, while this is it's going to happen, he says, in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. You're a righteous man, Habakkuk. Are you getting it? Live your life by faith or live your life by trusting Me. God is saying, trust Me. Trust Me. The power of God comes in and it starts at salvation, doesn't it? Trust Me. Believe Me. Trust in My Son's sacrifice. And then, we as Christians then live our life from faith to faith, to faith, to faith, from the beginning to the end. Could be one meaning of that. As is written, but the righteous man, the justified man, shall live by faith, by believing. No works. There's not going to be some kind of magical experience that happens to you. It's We live by faith and not by sight. What's going on by sight? I see it. It's sin. God says, trust me. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's my will. Just trust me. And Habakkuk says at the end there, though I have, though the stalls are empty, there is no milk, there's no food, there's no place to... I mean, he goes to the extreme and says that... I will trust in You. I will give You glory. I'm going to live by faith. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, every word that comes from His mouth. That is what He says to us here today. You can trust Him with your life. Let's pray. Father, great, holy God, thank You for the good news. The just man, the one who is declared justified, who is declared righteous, will live by faith, trusting in God. Lord, that is so hard for the world to understand. Even religious people like Martin Luther who knew he couldn't be righteous, and he was angry at God because he could never make it there. But the righteousness of Christ was given to him. When he saw this, the light was turned on. The just, the righteous believers will be saved and live by faith.
trusting in you and trusting our very lives, everything to you. In your Son's name we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.